My name's Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. Uh, we're in this series titled Unstuck, as we just heard this great testimony about getting unstuck. That, that's what we're going for, and uh, Vince helped us as he talked about one of the labels that he can sometimes wear. And I, I really want to encourage you to come back next Sunday as we'll put a capstone on this series, and we'll talk about some of the labels that we wear and the false identities that get stuck to us and that tend to shame us and that we want to take those nasty bumper stickers off of us. And uh, we'll talk about that next Sunday. So please be sure to come back then as we'll finish up the series. Uh, I know Tim Cargus already mentioned this, but I, I also just want to say thank you to the 150 or so families that committed to working on their marriage though, this weekend by coming to the marriage conference and say thank you to the many, many volunteers and staff team that put that together. It was awesome to see, both in terms of the child care though, that was provided and uh, so many that were helping behind the scenes as prayer partners and uh, with check-in and just throughout the weekend to make for what turned out to be a great marriage conference. So thank you for helping make that happen through... through your generosity and also through your time as you fought for your marriage and then uh, gave of your time to, uh, to volunteer for that weekend, as many of you did. Thank you so much. You know, several years back, a nationally syndicated columnist, think those Dear Abby columns, remember those Dear Abby columns in the newspaper? So several years back, this nationally syndicated, syndicated advice columnist was asked as she reflected upon her career, was there a predominant theme in the questions that she got from her readers? And she responded this way. She said, yes, there is. There is one predominant theme. Fear. People are afraid of losing loved ones, she said. Afraid of losing their health. People are afraid of losing their wealth. People are afraid of life itself. This one we're talking about here today, fears and doubts that cripple us, particularly fears. We'll talk a little bit, of, a little bit about doubts that cripple us as well, but mostly we're going to talk about fears that cripple. This one is universal. I'm convinced that every person in this room, anyone who's watching online right now, everyone on this stage struggles with fear from time to time. I think this is part of the reason that God has chosen to pencil in the word fear in the scriptures some 360 times, once for each day, because it's a universal and we need to fight against this one probably just about every day. Fear, it seems, is rationally given to us. We have some things that we should fear. We have some concerns that we are right to feel concerned about. And that's a good thing. That comes far from God. Not all worry is, is bad all the time. Sometimes God gives a mother worry because it's good. She knows something is wrong. Okay, I'm talking about, that, that's something different than we're talking about today. A concern is something different though, than we're talking about today. Uh, worries occasionally can be decent. Concerns can be very good. Uh, fears usually much less so. 
I want to tell you today that whatever fear you're facing today, you, you can begin to overcome it. You really can. You really can, through Jesus, begin to overcome it. We're going to talk real practically about how we can do so. Now, we all have some rational fears and irrational fears. You know, you think about kids, right? Kids growing up probably had some irrational fears. Maybe your kids have a fear of mascots. They see Herbie the Husker at the game and they hide behind Mama. What is that thing? Or is there like a junior Herbie that bounces around? That thing is kind of scary. Or like clowns. That's what you call a rational fear. Many kids and adults continue to have them. Perhaps when you were a kid, you had a fear of being yelled at. Because you had a dad who just always yelled at you. Or you had a parent who was all truth and no grace. So you had a fear of being yelled at. It's a rational fear. Uh, others, as you grow up into your teenage years, you, you have other fears, don't you, as teenagers? Fear of rejection, fear of kind of being marginalized and placed in the out crowd. Uh, some teenagers uh, deal with fears of seeing their parents argue a whole lot. And they start to wonder, they start to fear, might my parents get a divorce? It might be that today you have a fear that the economy might plummet again. Or that you might lose your job. Or you might not have enough money for rent. Or you fear a certain coworker who has a way of gossiping about people. You fear someone who has a way of putting others down at work and putting some in the out crowd, and, and you fear that. Perhaps others, you, you have a fear that you may never get healthy again. And how will these tests turn out that I'm going through? Or my spouse might not ever get healthy Again, we have rational fears as well. Fear is living in the what-ifs, the constant what-ifs. And it stems from a knowledge that we cannot control our lives. You begin to go through life for any amount of time as an adult, and you realize that you are wrong as a 20-something. In your 20s, you thought you could control a lot of things, and then you realize you go a little bit further into life, there's so much that is outside of your control. Isn't that right? And so you start to fear, rightfully so, all of these what-ifs. There's a snowstorm coming. What if it's Snowmageddon? What if it's the storm of the century? Like last year's storm of the century. What if my kid falls down on his bike? He should just keep playing video games instead. Well, what if I fall going to the grocery store? Maybe I should just stay home. What if communists take over the country? What if, what if, what if? And some of these fears are comical, and some of these are realistic or reasonable, and I'm not making light of any of them, because we all go through this. We all experience fears over any number of different issues. It's normal for all of us. But here's why we're talking about it. 
Though it may be normal for all of us to feel fear from time to time, there are some people in this room, even this morning, that I believe fear is contending for your sanity. Seriously. There's people in this room that fear has a way that is so all-encompassing that it contends for your sanity. That you're living out of fear with all of your decisions, with all of your parenting, You're living out of fear, and it has this effect over time of immobilizing us, doesn't it? It's like a straitjacket that prevents us from acting. And so while it may be normal, I want you to know Jesus does not want you to live that way. Jesus wants you to be unstuck from fears that tangle you up and prevent you from acting on the call that God has given for your life. Fear at its basis is this. It is a momentary absence in trust of God. It's a momentary absence of trusting God. Now, I'm not saying it's a lack of faith. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that because you have fear, you lack faith. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is in the moment of fear, that fear can be so intense, it can be so all-encompassing that it is the only thing you are thinking about and you are not trusting God in that moment. You are so consumed by that, whatever that is, that you lose your confidence in God to ultimately win the day over whatever the issue is that you're facing. You know what I'm talking about? You lose your confidence in God to ultimately win the day for your life, for time, and for eternity. And once again, I want to tell you that Jesus does not want that for you. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 56. Uh, Psalm 56 is just a beautiful, beautiful psalm right in the center of your Bible. If you're turning there right now and you get to the book of Job, go a little bit more to the right and you get to the Psalms. If you get to Proverbs or Isaiah, come back to the left right about the center of your Bible, Psalm 56. This one is written by David. And David was this great warrior of a man. And yet at the same time, in addition to being a warrior of a man, he was also kind of a Renaissance man, wasn't he? He was a poet, and he was a songwriter, and he was willing to go deep into his heart. He was willing to repent when he was wrong. He was willing to ask for forgiveness He was all of those things. He was a hunter and he was a shepherd. Later on, he would become king of Israel. David is all of those things. He's a a man's man in the very best sense of that phrase. But in this context here, he has fear. And the reason he's fearful in Psalm 56 is this. David has just recently killed the giant named Goliath. Israel has this long simmering war with the Philistines and David is called into battle and he kills this this great giant of a warrior by the name of Goliath. And so he's fleeing from the Philistines as there is this ongoing simmering war between these two nations. In addition to that, David's fame has grown because he's been such a warrior in battle such that when he walks through the city square, people literally sing his praises. David, David. Who kills his thousands? They sing his praises because he's been that kind of man for the people of Israel in their hour of need. 
Now because of this, the current king in Israel is brewing up this jealousy, this anger, this hatred, this bitterness, what we talked about last week, this bitterness toward David. And it turns into this plot that he's going to kill David because he can't stand it anymore. He's so jealous of him that he's getting all this praise. So he develops this plot to go ahead and kill this warrior David. So what does David do? He flees from Israel and he goes into this area where there's a whole lot of caves. It's uh, bordering the area of Philistia. And there in Philistia, he is caught by the Philistines. And he's afraid. Because he knows that Saul can kill him. And he knows that the Philistines can kill him. Or worse. Or much worse. And so he's afraid. In that context, David writes this. Be merciful to me, my God. For my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride Many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring down the nations." Record my misery, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. I don't know how you read that, but I just find that psalm to be so incredibly refreshing. I've been meditating on this psalm for the past two or three weeks in anticipation of this message. Just, Just blessed by this psalm, by David's honesty. Again, what he does is he searches his heart. And he says, this is what's really going on. Look at verse 3 and 4. You'll see the turn of phrase that he uses up on the screen. When I am afraid, in God I trust and am not afraid. Would you read that out loud with me from the screen? When I am afraid, in God I trust and am not afraid. That's just beautiful, that turn of phrase. When I am afraid... Not if I am afraid, when I am afraid, it's going to happen. But then, what do I do with it? In God I trust, and then I am not afraid. Friends, it takes far more courage to admit your fears than to pretend you don't have any. Is anyone with me today? It it takes far more courage to admit your fears than to be one of these people who pretends they don't have any fears. That's what David is doing here. I love the way the great preacher and theologian Charles Spurgeon put it. As he's reflected on David in the psalm, he says, David was a man of courage when he slew a lion in the way, when he successfully encountered a bear, 
when he went out to meet the giant Goliath, he gave undoubted proofs of courage, but never so much, do not miss this, never so much as when he determined to look into his own heart. Mm. Never so much courage as when you and I determine we are going to look into our own hearts and see what's really going on right there. And that's what David does again and again throughout the Psalms. Again, this is a man's man, and he has the courage to look into his heart again and again and see what is really going on and actually confront it. And when he is fearful, then he trusts in God, and he's fearful a whole lot less. He brings his fears to God, which is exactly where God invites us to start. God has given you the power to fight your fears by building trust in God. You gotta hold on to this. God has given you power to actually fight against your fears, not to succumb to your fears. Many of us just succumb to our fears, and that's not what God would have us do. That's not what Jesus would have for our lives. That's crippling. But that we would fight our fears, and that we would build our trust in God. The question for me is how do we do it? How do we build our trust in God? How do we fight against the fears that can be so all-consuming for us? And I'd like to suggest uh, this morning three verbs that help us, three actions uh, that we must take underneath the careful sovereignty of God that will help us begin to fight against our fear and grow in power. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, God has not given you a spirit of fear. God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity. He's given you a spirit of power, of boldness, of love, and a sound mind. So if you have a spirit of fear in you, that is not from your Lord. The Holy Spirit comes into us, and he wants to give us his power, his boldness, his love, and a sound mind. I believe that begins with this verb. Bow down before the greatness of God. We have to begin by bowing down before the greatness of God. If we're going to fear anyone, the only one that we would rightfully fear is God himself. Look at Psalm 56 verse 4 up on the screen. Two different times David says this, In God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? That's the first time he says it. What can any man do to me since I trust in God? I fear God, I do not fear man. What can man do to me? They might kill me, big deal. What can man do to me? Look at verse 11. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? Two different times, in the first 11 verses of the psalm, he says the same exact thing. In God I trust, what can man do to me? Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that sounds a whole lot like Jesus, who says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not fear man who can only kill the body. That's all man can do to you. That's it. Instead, fear God. Because it's God alone who holds body and soul for all of eternity. And so there's only one who is worthy of our fear. There's only one who is worthy of us bowing down to. 
And what I want to tell you today is that if you have a proper, necessary fear of God, an unnecessary fear of man will not be yours. A proper fear of God releases you from unnecessary fear of man. If you appropriately tremble before the one who alone is God and you recognize he is holy and wondrous and just and powerful and he holds your eternity in his hand, if you recognize that, then you will not bow before any person. You'll realize that there is someone greater and I trust my soul unto him. Now the word fear here is not this idea of being scared of God. It's this idea of, ooh, I am in the presence of greatness. In the presence of God, I'm in the presence of one who is far greater than anything I've ever encountered, and so rightly, my knees tremble a bit. Rightly so, I would bow down before his greatness, because the simple truth is, you are going to bow before someone or something, aren't you? Every one of us will. And so God invites us to bow before him in worship, to tremble appropriately before his greatness, to recognize that he alone is worthy to be feared. He holds our eternity in his hands. And this is what he says. The fear of man is a trap, but those who trust in the Lord are safe. You trust in the Lord, you're safe for all of eternity. Your soul is safe in his hand, so you have no fear of any man. Now this is necessary for, for me to preach this to myself as well. I'm not simply teaching you though this morning. I'm preaching this to, to myself. I'm teaching this to, to myself. Many of you know though this part of my story. I'm a person who stutters. I have across all of my life. I don't mean to talk about it a lot, but it's germane to, to what we're talking about here today. As a person who stutters, I am afraid of public speaking. Someone else, come up on stage. <laughs> Why? Because I've stuttered a lot. Why else? Because I want you to like me. Like, come on. You stand before God and you care about these people? No offense. <laughs> I, mean, I do care about you, but like, how small is that? Why, why? I want you to like me? And yet, if I'm honest, that's true. So I must bow before God and not before you, not before anyone. Because the fear of man is a trap. Necessary fear of God releases us from unnecessary fear of man. We bow before God, and then we breathe in the love of God. You bow before the greatness of God, but this is commingled well with the reality that we breathe in the love of God. I pray that you know today, I pray more than anything, though, that you know that God loves you. That God loves you by name, personally he cares about you. That he knows you by name, that he intentionally chose to create you. That there are no accidents in this room. That he knows every hair on your head. That he created you, that he loves you, that he is present with you, that he is for you. That he will never forsake you, even when you forsake his name, he will not forsake you, he is for you. 
This is what David says in verse 8. He says, record my misery, God. Please be present with me. List my tears on your scroll. I think what David is getting at there is, God, you know what I'm going through. You know the fear that I feel at the hand of Saul and at the hand of the Philistines. God, take my tears into your hands. Could you do that? Yeah, you could do that with whatever fears. Record my tears on your scroll, God, because you actually care for me. This is all the Christian life is. The Christian life on a day-in and day-out basis is going to God with your stuff. It's taking your stuff to God through whatever your stuff might be. The only difference, Bob, between the Christian and the non-Christian is that we have the resources of God behind us in the challenges that we face. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey today, but don't let any Christian tell you that if you become a Christian, you will lose all the challenges of life. No, they'll still be there. You'll still have all the challenges of life. No matter where you are and whatever spiritual journey, whatever worldview, we all face the same fears. We listen to the same news stories, we watch the same news shows, we read the same newspapers, we have the same dangers, we have the same dreams and hopes for our kids. We have the same governments, we have the same fears of loss of, of life and health and all of that. The only difference is this, every breath you take, if you are a follower of Christ, Jesus is by your side. The difference is this, When your heart is overwhelmed, you go to Jesus and you find his resources with you to strengthen you. The difference is this. You are never alone, that he is always with you. He is always for you. He will never let you go. When we are rooted in Christ, we can have trust that God will love us and he will keep us until the very end. And all that stems in breathing in the love of God. This is how the Apostle John put it, who lived in the love of God for some three years as he walked with Jesus. He said, perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love of God drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not yet made perfect in love. Perfect love casts out all fears. And so a simple practice that I would encourage you to do is take out your chair from your camper from time to time and just sit down in it and take in the love of God. Breathe in the love of God. And this is how I do it. Have you ever been taught, let me ask this just a little informal poll, informal poll. have you ever been taught the idea of breath prayers? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, zero hands. Today you get taught. Uh, breath prayer is a very, very simple ancient practice, and it just goes like this. Can you see me over there, Nick? Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I breathe in your mercy. I breathe out my anxiety. I breathe in your love. I breathe out my fear. Your perfect love casts out my fears. It's just taking a very simple phrase that you don't have to think about a whole lot that is pregnant with meaning like, Lord Jesus Christ, show me your peace. 
Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And breathing it in again and again and again, perhaps five minutes at the beginning of your day if you're struggling with anxiety or fear, and you breathe in the love of God, the mercy of God, you breathe out the anxiety and the fear of this world, and you just ask the perfect love of Jesus to cast out fear. It's not a big cognitive prayer. It's a simple prayer of sitting in the presence of the one who is sovereign and holds you in his hands. Lord Jesus Christ, would you please grant me your peace? And can I tell you, when I'm stressed, when I'm fearful, I I might do that for several days in a row for five or six minutes at a time. And I might pause throughout the day and do it again and again because when I'm stressed, when I'm fearful, my brain isn't working too well. I don't know about yours. So I need a simple prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner, I need you. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. I encountered a man named Andrew Brunson, who was a missionary for some 20 years in Turkey. And we're interested in Turkey, but because we support some missionaries there who just do a great, great job in a country that has like 0.03% of its population is Christian. And Andrew Brunson's been a missionary in Turkey for some 20 years until he was captured by the Turkish police a couple of years ago, and then he was imprisoned on false charges of terrorism. He's been in Turkish prison for over two years, and he didn't know if he would ever get out. And he was asked... Uh, Pastor Brunson, how did you deal with this over the past couple years? He just got released here a few months ago. How did you deal, deal with this, not knowing if you would ever be released from prison, not knowing if you would be tortured to death in there? And he said this, I declared every day, God loves me. He is true. He is faithful. He has not abandoned me. This is what I did. I declared every day, Across 700 and some days, God loves me. He is true. He is faithful. He has not abandoned me. Whatever happens, I'm breathing in the love of God. You bow before the greatness of God. You breathe in the love of God, and you attack the elephant one bite at a time, right? You remember that that old phrase? How do you... uh, devour, how do you eat an elephant? You, you just do it one bite at a time. You pull out your fork and your knife and you eat that big fat elephant one bite at a time. And I know it feels like you're not making progress, but you do it anyway. You just take the next step. Like whatever it is, whatever you're fearing, whatever you're fearing is probably huge, but you take the next step and fight against it. You devour it one bite at a time. So let me just ask you this question. What, what is it for you? What, what are you fearing today? On your outline this morning, there's a blank line. Write it down. What are you fearing? What is the elephant you're looking into? Maybe take notes on your phone. Now is your permission to use your phone. Okay, whether you wrote that down or you just thought of it, it's pretty nasty, isn't it? It looks like, oh, this is impossible to overcome. You just start with the next step. You you, you take the next bite. You remember that God loves you. 
You fear him, not that elephant in front of you. And then you take the next bite to say, I'm courageously going after this. Courage is not the lack of fear. Courage is seeing your fears and fighting anyway, continuing through it. That's what we saw in the testimony though this morning. You see your fears and you fight your way through them. So you might be crippled today with this intense fear of a conversation that you know you need to have. You have bitterness against someone. We talked about that last week. And you know you need to have a conversation with them because they're fellow Christians and you need to deal with it. And you are intensely fearful of dealing with it. Write down the bullet points of the things that you need to address. That's your next step. Write down the bullet points. Then the next step after that maybe is make a phone call. Next step after that is to go over the conversation with someone that you love, with your spouse, whoever it might be. Take the next step. Maybe you're fearful of public speaking. Join Toastmasters. Start small. Maybe you're fearful of losing your money. Here's the best thing you can do if you're fearful of losing your money. Start giving it away. That is the best thing you can do to remove the clutches of fear on your heart. Start giving it away and you realize again, it was never mine in the first place. God owns it all. I trust in him with what he has given to me. Maybe you have fearful doubts related to your faith. Anyone? You don't have to raise your hand. I've many times had fearful doubts related to my faith. You know what I do? I go back and I look again at the reasons that I believed in the first place. I review the different apologetic reasons that I came to believe in the very first place. I go back and remember the ways that God has answered prayers along the way. That's why I keep a spiritual journal, to remember the prayers. And remember the reasons that God has given me to to believe that Jesus has indeed risen from the grave. And all of a sudden, doubts begin to dissipate. You deal with it head on. You're fearful of rejection for your faith. Set an appointment to talk to that person. There's someone that you want to share Christ with. Begin to share Christ well with that person. Set an appointment. And in the most loving way, begin to outline what you want to share with that person if you are fearful of rejection for your faith. Because, again, the way you deal with it is not cowering from it, but fighting against it, hitting it, one bite at a time, and then fear of man has no place. This is how we do it. This is how Jesus would give us the victory. Now, you got to know that whatever you're fearing today, whatever next step you take, Jesus is the ballast in your ship in the center of the storm. One of my heroes is a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. And Johnny Erickson Tata is um, a great advocate for people with disabilities. She's written a number of wonderful books and founded a great uh, ministry called Johnny and Friends. And here's a picture on the screen of her painting with her teeth because at age 17 she became a quadriplegic. As she dove into a pool and hit her head and immediately broke her neck. And that was some 52 years ago, again at age 17. She's been advocating for people with disabilities and writing about the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus even through suffering, even through fear ever since. She wrote a little booklet about overcoming fear a few years ago in which she said this. If you're like me, you have certain respect for the troubles that come your way. Let me be honest, I am breaking all the statistics that say I should be dead. But fears can creep in and destroy my peace of mind. 
Sometimes I allow myself to reflect upon all the trouble that I could be experiencing, breaking one of my already fragile bones, bladder bugs, lung infections, pressure sores, the growing specter of blood clots, uncontrollable spasticity. These are the kinds of troubles that most quadriplegics wrestle with all the time. So if I let my fears get within me, I'd be sunk. I would be flooded with fears. Listen to her now. All the waters in all the oceans cannot sink a single ship. It is completely safe as long as no water from the ocean gets inside. In the same way, all the troubles in the entire world cannot touch me unless I allow them to start to get inside me. I'm safe as long as I do not allow fear or worry to sink my heart, submerge my peace of mind, or plunge my joy into a flood of despair. As long as Jesus is the ballast in my ship, I am safe. I am safe. That from a quadriplegic who's been battling all of that and now breast cancer for the past 50 years. As long as Jesus is the ballast in your ship, you are safe from the storms. So what's your next step? What's your next step? Courage is taking the next step. And the courageous next step against our fears enables us to become like Johnny Erickson Tata, more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us, who will never let us go. This is why my favorite verse, perhaps in the entire Bible, favorite chapter is Romans 8. In the end of Romans 8, Paul lists this whole list of challenges that we could face, all kinds of stuff that we would fear and rightfully so. And then he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. Are you convinced of that? I am convinced that neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, neither life nor death, neither powers nor principalities, nor rulers or authorities, nor any other person, nor any health issue, nor death of a loved one, nor loss of a job, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate me, and I pray that you're convinced of this, will ever be able to separate you from the love of God which is revealed for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Father, I'm asking for that. I'm asking for that from my friends in this room. That you would give them courage to take the next step. That you would prove yourself to them again and again that they are more than conquerors through Christ who loves them. And Jesus, we know you want our all. It, it won't work if we give you just part of our soul. 
We've got to give you our whole soul. And so we give it to you right now. And we ask, God, that you would help us to overcome through the love of Christ. We recognize, God, that we all are fearing something or someone. And to the extent that we fear another person, God, we repent of that right now. We repent of it. We give it to you. We ask, God, that you would increase our vision of the greatness of God. That we would bow before you only. People are just people. Doesn't matter how famous or infamous they are, they're just people. You are deserving of our reverence. You are the God of all love. May we breathe in your love again. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who is battling fear, who maybe feels crippled by it today, that you would begin to release them. I saw you do that for some this morning after the 915 service, and I'm, I'm trusting you can do that for a few others here at the 11 o'clock service as well. Would you please do it for brothers and sisters in this room? Lord, we trust in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come, that we would have life and have it to the full. May it be today for my brothers and sisters. In Christ's name we ask. Amen and amen.